Powered by Riverside. And we are back with another one of your favorite podcasts. That's right. I'm Conway T, your host, and I'm back with What the Football for another episode of your favorite football podcast, ladies and gentlemen. But we have a special announcement to make. It's only taken six months of the season for it to occur. But unfortunately, we do not have our Manchester United resident fan on the group tonight. Unfortunately, he's taken the night off, something about a birthday. But I don't know, Wade, I'm not buying this at all. I think the man has finally crumbled. (laughs) He couldn't face the music after that demolition on Saturday against Man City. And I think he's just uh, he's hiding in a cupboard from what I hear over there in Melbourne. Can you confirm these reports? Oh, man, look, it's hard to blame the guy. You know, it's taken him a while to crack. He's copped quite a bit from us all season. So, you know, if there's any time he needs a week off, I reckon it'll be this one off that performance on the weekend. So hopefully you're enjoying your dinner out there, Rudds. But uh, we're thinking of you over here, man. We're thinking of you. <laughs> I know a lot of our listeners would be disappointed to see that Rudds has finally caved in and taken the uh, taken the uh, the bit of a the the hidden the hidden closet in the background. But as as our fr- my friend Wade alluded to, it was certainly a pasting that United copped on the weekend. Of course, there was plenty of action around the grounds, and we will go through all of those games and highlight really the big talking points. But of course, we had Leicester picking up a vital three points against the new Jesse March Leeds United. We had, of course, Aston Villa absolutely tearing Southampton apart with a 4-0 victory. Of course, Chelsea repeated that scoreline by thrashing a hapless Burnley. Although having said that, Burnley did have some uh, interesting chances in that first half. But unfortunately, in the end, after that, Reese James, a uh, bit of a wonder goal, it was an absolute cruise to victory for Chelsea. The Newcastle United steam train continues on under Eddie Howe as they fought out a 2-1 win over Brighton, who have now lost five games in a row. Quite interesting times for Brighton indeed. Of course, we had Norwich, uh, which I think many people thought they'd pick up three points against Brentford, only for Ivan Tony to step up and bang home a much-needed hat-trick. Wolves suffered defeat yet again in their chase for European positions as they lost to a Zaha-inspired Crystal Palace. And, of course, we had the battle at the top where Liverpool maintained, did what needed was to to be done, and, of course, got that 1-0 hard, hard-fought victory against West Ham. The Gooners, Wade, of course, continued their fine form at the turn of the year, beating Watford 3-2 and moving into prime position to take out that top four spot. Of course, the match of the round, the one everyone was waiting for, is Manchester blue or is it red? I think it was emphatically stated as Manchester City tore United apart with a 4-1 victory. And of course, the surprise result, in a way, um, Tottenham scoring that many goals in one game and Everton looking worse than they've ever looked before. Um, We might start there, Wade. Frank Lampard, what is going on at Everton? Is this a case of just, you know, a manager completely out of his depth or Everton seriously this bad? 
Yeah, I think we all sort of voiced our concerns when Frank came in. You know, I thought he was lucky to get the job uh, in the first place. And this, it, it actually baffles me, Connell. I was thinking about this when I was watching this game this morning. Um, you know, the Premier League, it's the best league in the world, right? Widely regarded as the, the best league in the world. I don't understand how these uh, some of these managers just keep getting recycled to these clubs, you know? Um underperform massively at Chelsea after the spending spree that they went on. Um, and then to come into a – Everton's a big club. Yeah, they haven't won anything for a while, but they're a massive club uh, in England. I think we were, were talking last week about, you know, when was the last time they got relegated. It's been a while since yeah. they've even probably battled relegation at all. You know, they were a mainstay in the top half of the division under Moyes for a very long time. Um, And they were always there or thereabouts, you know, bordering on European football um, and a stable club, you know. And then you thought when Moshiri took over, there's going to be a bit of investment. They went out and they spent money. Unfortunately, they they spent that money poorly at the end of the day, right? Because you look at that back line. I mean, that's a a championship level back line. Someone mentioned that as well um, on the weekend. But the way they got opened up, um, it was embarrassing, really embarrassing. And now we're looking at, um, you know, four losses in their last five games. Uh, they play Wolves next, who, you know, themselves are in a bit of a free fall at the moment. But that's going to be another tough game. And I was actually reading a stat today. Everton's last 13 games, right? Um, I think nine of them are against teams in the top 12, Wow. Nine of those games, you know. So you're looking at it um, and you're thinking they're in serious trouble now. Serious trouble because Burnley, uh, even though they've lost their last couple, they seem to have firmed up a bit. And, you know, they always seem to produce results at the end of the season when they look a shoe in to go down. So Everton are in for a real battle and – you know, I think all, all the concerns we had about Frank are sort of coming to fruition with some of these performances that we've seen. So, yeah, it's worrying times for the Blues. Very worrying times. Well, look, as a, as a Liverpool supporter, um, it would be, be quite something if Everton did How would relegated. you feel, actually? Because, you know, I know, obviously, they haven't had anywhere near the success that you guys have had. But that Merseyside rivalry, you're basically across the road from each other. Would you actually be disappointed to see them going down as a red? Look, I think I think the, the thing with Everton for me over the years is, you know, watching Liverpool play Everton is we've always had it over them. So it's not as if it's a derby where it's one of those ones that could go either way. Mm. I just look at the last almost 20 results. There's been like Everton got their first victory last year against us in in God knows how long. And that was an anomaly of a year where, you know, we had those issues going on and no fans. So to me, it was kind of a strange one, a, a weird one that Everton got that. So to answer your point, you know, I think if I if I came from Liverpool, there'd probably be this, this bit of a laughing joke if Everton got relegated. I'm not sure I, I would be too fussed. I, I'd be more mm. excited if it was bloody United getting relegated, quite frankly. <laughs> but having said that, I think as a little jibe, um, yeah, look, it's always going to be Everton and Liverpool and that rivalry. But for me, having them as part of the league is always something I've looked forward to that fixture. I think I was a, just going to ask, like, yeah. is that a fixture you actually look out for when when they release the, the list? Is that a fixture you look for? 
yeah, I mean the first the first fixture I always look out for is is Man United, all yeah. right, and that's purely based off the rivalry of mm. of of the years gone by. I think in recent times the next fixture I've always looked for is is Manchester City, City. and yeah. that's because direct direct competitor. I think the fixture mm. below that is then Everton. Um, and that's obviously because it's the derby and you always want to get one over your neighbours. Having said that, though, I always go into the Everton game expecting to win because yeah. Everton haven't really put much up in those derby games over the years. Some of them have been tight and interesting. So, you know, going back to your point about, the, you know, those last those last few games and how many are coming from, from the top 12, that is really concerning because yeah. they are in abysmal form. They don't look like they, I mean, and, and this is, you know, goes back to your point. What does Frank Lampard know about fighting relegation? You know, you've thrown in a manager there and just, I said it before, this is owners throwing darts at a board going, mm. all right, oh, that guy's, a, oh, Frank Lampard. Yeah, he's got a lot of goals in the Premier League. He'll be able to get us out of there. This is not a job for somebody that, for me, is, is fresh to it if Everton are serious about staying up. So I do have major concerns that they will go down. I mean, I won't lose any sleep over it, but I think it's another club making bad decisions um, and it's going to come back to bite you in the arse in the Premier League. Um, and they could mm. they could suffer the ultimate price and actually get relegated. So interesting yeah. times indeed. I guess on the flip side of that, we obviously saw Spurs somehow score five goals in a game and Harry Kane... Um, a man reborn, you know, Spurs are this enigma, as you said, that, you know, we keep asking every week, are they serious contenders for the four? And you, you've been the one that says, you know, as long as they've got Conte, there's that that hope or, 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 or belief that Spurs fans might have. And that concerns you as an Arsenal fan that they can put a run together um, towards the end of the season. So, you know, a massive statement from them, five goals, a couple of goals there from Harry Kane. Um, you know, they, they absolutely slaughtered Everton from start to finish. And, you know, they have a couple of games in hand. And, and really, it's, it's United that are kind of looking like the team that's almost, you know, scraping on for dear life to get into that top four. Whereas it's Arsenal. To me, wait, if I'm serious here, if Arsenal throw it away from the position that they're in now, given the 10 kind of games, 12 games that are left especially the fact that you do have three games in hand over United, who I think are your direct rival, probably followed by Spurs. West Ham won't last the legs. Uh, This is is for Arsenal for the taking, as far as I'm concerned. I I think this is Arsenal's fourth spot to take, and it would be a little bit of a disaster if, if I was an Arsenal fan, if without any other distractions, you couldn't close out the points needed you know, out of those those last 10 games. What what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, look, um, the, the Conte factor is going to be big. Um, the, the thing with Spurs, right, before I touch on Arsenal, is Spurs on the counter are, you could argue, one of the most deadly teams in the league, right? Because you got Kane dropping deep. He plays those balls so well into Son. Those runs he makes are so dangerous. So... Whenever you get a team that comes out and tries to play against them or doesn't sit back, sit, sit back and, and, uh, in, in those, you know, two banks of four or a four and a five, then, um, there's always an opportunity for them. They struggle to break teams down because they don't have much creativity in their midfield. 
right? So their, their real chance of scoring goals is going to come on the counter. And what you saw from Everton uh, this morning was, I can't even say Everton came out to play. They just didn't put pressure on them. Like Spurs just seem to have so much time on the ball everywhere on the field. There was absolutely no pressing that I saw. Uh, defensively, it didn't look like there was any communication at all. It was a free reign, really a free reign for Spurs. So, um, you know, the Conte, the Kane, the Son factor is huge. Um, so I'm not, I can't write them off yet, even though, you know, we have got a game in hand on them and we're a few points ahead of them. This weekend they play United, Spurs play United. So that is going to be a massive game. Uh, and we play Leicester at home, who've been, you know, hot and cold all season, really. So um, if we can stretch that lead a bit further um, this weekend, I'll, I will feel a lot more confident. Um, I'm, I'm still not ready to say, and I don't know if this is just the, the PTSD that I have from Arsenal over the last, I don't know how many years, where I've just seen us implode time and time again. Uh, it's probably that that's holding me back from saying, yeah, look, we, we're gonna, we're, we've are gonna we got top four, you know. We're definitely favorites at this stage. If you look at the form and also you look at the fixture list that we have, um, you know, I think we only play two or three of the big teams, really, and a couple of them are at home. So we've definitely got the kindest fixture list. And if you look at the form and not just the results, I'm talking about the way we're actually playing. It seems like it's clicked now. Because I think defensively, we've been pretty sound all year. Defensively, we've been solid. Like, I think we've got like the third best defensive record in the league behind uh, City and Liverpool. So um, I think defensively, we've been really good. But um, the, the attack is starting to click now, which is good. Like we scored some amazing goals on the weekend. You know, a bit of a throwback to, to the classic Arsenal one-touch fast football um, you know, and, and being really clinical up front. So I'm happy with where we're at. And I'll be lying if I, if I said I wouldn't be disappointed if we didn't finish in the top four from here. But I'm not ready to say that it's a shoe-in yet. Only because, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, Connell, we were looking at, at City being 12 points ahead of Liverpool. And I'm still sitting yeah. here trying to figure out how Liverpool clawed that back. <laughs> In a couple, of, I yeah, still can't figure yeah. it out because it's yeah. not like City went on this epic run of losing games, but somehow you know Liverpool with their game in hand could potentially the even it up. Right back, yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. So for me to say, yeah, <clears throat> yeah well, you know, it's a shoe in from here. I'm not ready to do that, um, but this weekend is going to be massive. I'm hoping Spurs and United um, cancel each other out, and we get another good victory against Leicester, and then we're well on our way. But it's still a long way to go, man. So I'm 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 holding my breath for now. Well, I must say I must give plaudits to the work Arteta's doing. You know, there's we live in an age where I've said before, Wade, where people are very quick to judge uh, a coach or a player or somebody in a very short space of time. You know, mm. I, I I've lost count of the amount of times I've heard people say get rid of Arteta. He's no good. You know, we're going nowhere. Because everybody is after instant successes. As if they mm-hmm. expect a manager to come in, wave a magic wand, and all of a sudden they're, they're competing for everything. One interesting stat or stat, a set of stats that I've seen from Arsenal, and to me this speaks of, I guess the work he's doing around, um, you know, that I, I like and very similar to the, the way City play and that their midfielders do contribute a lot of goals. But 
your top scorers are all midfielders in this team. It's, you know, Emil Smith-Rowe with nine goals in the league. Saka, eight. Gabriel Martinelli, five. Okay, attacking midfielder. Martin Odegaard, five. Your striker is on three goals, which is Alexandre Lacazette. He's only got three. But what I found with Lacazette is he links up the play so well for those players to actually score those goals, which makes him a completely different type of player than, say, Obama Yang was, who was mm-hmm. more of that, you know, in, in, in for sense of a better word, that natural finisher, get him in front of goal, put it through, and he'll score the goals. Lacazette brings these players into play. And, you know, every week I look at the scoring charts. It's bloody Odegaard. It's Martinelli. It's Smith-Rowe. It's Saka. So he's clearly doing some great work tactically around bringing those midfielders and bringing their strong attributes out so that they're able to, you know, support the team. Not only aggression in the midfield and ball playing skills, but the final end product as well. So the work is there for Arsenal. It's being laid out by Arteta and the plan is there. I think I said it to someone Mm -hmm. as well. When I look at United and, and, and compare them to Arsenal, you know, Arsenal lost their way after Wenger got lost, but, I think the Arteta signing is starting to make sense. You guys are showing patience with him from a board level and you're giving him the the, the time needed to build something. Um, whereas on the other side, you know, uh, we've got Manchester United, Wade. You know, our resident United fan here often talks to us about the process of, of Ragnik and the improvement. And to be honest, that performance against uh, Manchester City on the weekend was worse than some of the stuff they produced against, uh, or, sorry, when Olegana Solskjaer was in charge. So mm. where the hell are United currently? Are you able to actually put into context for the listeners where you think United actually are, not only as a club, but as a team and where they are going in terms of their direction? Because I am certainly not one that can point that out. I see it a team just making poor decisions and absolutely the class between them and their neighbors is that big that, you know, I think I heard Gary Neville say it and a few ex-Man United pundits and players say it, but they are miles from winning anything at this point in time. Yeah, I know. It's a good question. And, you know, I scratch my head as well because I always go back to the start of the season, Connell, and, you know, you look at the signings they brought in, Varane, Ronaldo, Sancho, and I was thinking to myself, wow, you know, these are big names they've brought in. I mean, Varane, you know, uh, such an accomplished player. He's won everything in the game, was excellent at Madrid. Still in the prime of his career as well. Jaden Sancho, one of the best wingers in Europe last year, you know, statistically speaking. Um, and then obviously Ronaldo was a bit of a, a cherry on top of the cake, really. Um, I always felt, though, that they missed out on bringing in a big powerhouse midfielder right I thought their attacking options were fine even if you you take Ronaldo out the picture um and I think that's where they really missed a trick was was bringing in sort of a defensive midfielder someone who's mobile athletic can break up play can also carry the ball forward like someone in the in the Declan Rice sort of mold you know and they, they could have spent the money on him I mean they're paying Ronaldo a shit ton of money um even even getting in Sancho it's a bit of a luxury player you know, because they still had options up front. I don't think their front line. Well, it's not addressing. It's not addressing the issues. The concern, and this is the problem. Exactly. It's, it's yeah. a player yeah. that's available that they were chasing two, three years ago. Yeah. Um, he now becomes available, but that stage is so much water under the bridge. They have players that fill that space. Exactly. You're not addressing where the issues are. 
Yeah, yeah. And to compare it to, um, you know, just to take it back and compare it to what Arsenal have done, I knew, and you know I've been a big Arteta advocate, like, you know, since the first time we spoke, like a year ago, wherever it was. I've Because the thing I saw with Arteta, right, is when he came in, he did something that I haven't seen in, I can't tell you how long, right? The one thing you always heard about Arsenal was that we've got a soft spine, and if you get at us, you can break us down and eventually we'll crack. That was the number yeah. one criticism of Arsenal for probably the last decade. You know, and that's not even exaggerating. Like, that's what we were known for, is you get in their yeah. faces and they'll crumble, right? And the that's first right. thing yeah. I saw Mikel and do... that's exactly what it was. Yeah, and the first... The first thing I saw Mikel do was he made us compact. He made us defend as a unit. I saw Mustafi and Louise performing at a level I didn't think they were capable of. You know, and to go through that that FA Cup I where we so. beat yeah. Chelsea and then we beat Manchester City. Like we used to get walloped against the big teams for the last five, six years. I used to be shitting my pants going to the to the big clubs because I'm thinking this could be embarrassing, yeah. You know, remember we went to Liverpool, we four goals down after 20 minutes, we get a red card, the ref sends off uh, Gibbs instead of Oxlade-Chamberlain, and you just, this is so Arsenal. You know what I mean? Like, just crazy stuff we were witnessing. So that's what that's what convinced me straight away, because when you get a manager who can bring the best think- out of players that generally are, are, are considered washed up, and you can turn them around, there's something about him. And I always I knew it was going to be a the- going challenges that Arsenal have faced is that it's exactly that case. Um, I guess for yourself, it's kind of the fact that you're 100% right. You know, he's had players perform at a better level that I think have improved Arsenal over time. And he's put a clear process in place that is now being fruition in the sense that Arsenal are now looking like, you know, top four challenges. I know we sat you at the start of the season and spoke about the fact that Arsenal aren't going to be pushing, um, you know, the likes of United for the top four. I remember you saying, um, you know, you'd be happy with a top six finish just to be back in in Europe. So for us to kind of be sitting here, you know, seven, eight months later, Arsenal are literally have it in their hands is a testament to the work that Arteta is actually doing. Um, and I think that is one of the key things coming out of this season is what he is actually being able to produce. Um, and fair play to him, you know. He's he's had to endure a lot of abuse, I think, from some some quarters. Um, you know, Arsenal, Arsenal fan TV is always a, a funny thing to see at times because, you know, you get guys throwing their season tickets, saying they're done and all this sort of crap that they've been doing forever and a day. But you see the raw emotion of fans being so reactionary about what's going on and, and how they're playing it out. And I think that's, um, you know, fair play to, to, to Arteta. I think, to your point, Wade, when I think back to the Liverpool uh, appointment of Klopp, I'll never forget um, that day I heard him talk for the first time. And he spoke about, you know, he didn't come in and say, this place is broken. He said, I can work with the players I have. You know, there, there's enough quality here for me to do something. You know, we had some average players at that time. We weren't really going anywhere. I always say that Brendan Rodgers' season was a bit of an enigma in the way that uh, Suarez performed that year. Sturridge played out of his socks. It was just like a a one-year wonder 
in a way where we produce this second half season that I've you know barely witnessed ever in my life. But back to the point, when Klopp came in, he set a plan in place and he stuck to it. And he knew what he wanted to build. And from the first game, you saw that in in play. I think Rudd sometimes brings the, the same comparisons with, with Ragnik and what he's trying to do. And I feel as though sometimes it's, it's a bit far of what's actually happening there. There's so many issues at United from the board level down to the individual players. I look at that squad and there are a number of players I'd probably get rid of. If you're talking about playing the way that Ragnik wants to play, I'm sorry, there's about 70% of that squad that is surplus to requirements. They don't have the, the skill set to be able to produce that high-pressing game um, week in, week out. So they've got numerous problems at United that, that needs to be filled with the right coach bringing on um, the right mentality. There, I saw something about... Uh, Carlo and Chalotti being linked. I, I genuinely do not believe that is the right person for United at this time. What are you playing at? You need to instill someone there, like maybe one of these, you know, these Tier Hagens or uh, Nagelsmann. If you're talking about pressing football, then that's where you need to go. You need to look at the next generation of managers, but then you need to stick to that for about four years before you hope that anything happens or you're just going to be throwing those darts at a board. So it's really interesting times for sure. And I think you hit the nail on the head there with um, with Rangnick. And just to just to tie it into the point I was making about Oteta, and and you touched on it as well in terms of having an actual plan in place. I think you're right, Rangnick. The style of play that he wants, he hasn't got the team for it. You know, and you saw that from the first uh, from the first game he came in, he tried the four two two two. It didn't work. You're trying to fit square pegs into round holes, um, and you've got guys who. I mean, let's be honest, under Ole, I couldn't even tell you what Ole was trying to achieve, right? I don't know what style of football uh, style of football uh, Ole was playing. I could never figure it out because they'd beat PSG convincingly and then they'd go away to Burnley and lose. You know, that was that was what was happening under Ole. And then under Ragnik, he comes in and, you know, there's, you're thinking to yourself, wow, okay, this guy's the king of the Gagan press and all these things and these, these German managers sort of look up to him and you're thinking, okay, He's going to turn United into a team of grafters. They're going to press hard. Um, you know, they're going to they're going to uh, keep keep teams in their own half and put pressure on them, win the ball high up the field. That's what you're expecting, right? When you're thinking of a coach who's sort of mastered that press and who's sort of the godfather of that. But you don't have the players for it. You know what I mean? You've got a lot of players in there, luxury players, really, um, and it just hasn't worked out. So. What the vision is going forward, it's going to be interesting to see. And we were speaking just before we came on in terms of, you know, you got a guy now who seemingly doesn't have control of the dressing room, right? Because the performances are telling us that. Um, you know, they started off yesterday, the pressing numbers went up a little bit initially. But I don't watch United and go, wow, the pressing is so, so amazing in this team. I don't see it at all, you know, and it maybe that happened for the first couple of games where it's like, all right, they look like they're running around a bit more, but I don't see any improvement in that area. So now what happens? What, what kind of manager are you bringing in? Who are you bringing in? I mean, Carlo Ancelotti sounds like they're chasing their tail a bit, you know, if that, that's the type of manager that's been linked. You need to have a plan. They've fallen so far behind, right? It's been seven years now since they've won anything significant. 
seven or eight years since Alex has left. You've got to have someone to come in, a young manager like you're saying, like an Arteta, who's going to come in with the plan. You've got to back him and you've got to give him time to develop that plan. So um, I think going out there and just spending big money on Ronaldo's and Sancho's, that's not going to get you anywhere. Um, so, but like you said, it starts from the top and the decisions have been poor for a long time now. So is that going to change? Is Ralph Rangnick even the, even the director of football that they need? Like, are we seeing that, you know, and how much respect is, it it all starts from the top, right? The owners, the director of football. So you're still going to have a guy in charge now or, or running the side the football side of things that's proven on as a coach, as a manager, he's not making it work. Yeah. So I, you're right. I, I don't see what the end game is. I don't see where they go from here. It's worrying times, really. Not that I'm complaining, but from a Man United <laughs> perspective, it's very worrying. Yeah, we're man. definitely not complaining. And look, I mean, it, the elephant in the room here. Next year, United are 10 years without a title. You know, that, that's a decade long. I don't think I ever thought I'd live to see the day where Manchester United took that long to win a title. They're now about to enter a third um, sorry, a decade-long spell without a title. Wow. And not Has only it been that, that long? It's been that long. The last one was 2013 Jeez. when Sir Alex left. And not only that, Wade, wow. they're five years without a single trophy. That's ridiculous. That <laughs> Just is to put ridiculous. it into even more perspective. So I think like a business, if you make the wrong decision from day one and you keep making wrong decisions all the way through, that filters over time. Yeah. So yeah. I think Gary Neville made some points about the issues at United in one of the podcasts he did, but he spoke about the fact that United need to decide what it is and where they're going and make that decision because Mm. the decisions they're taking have ramifications of three, four, five years, not just the immediate future. And I think that's where United are at the minute, unfortunately, and you can paint it in any way, shape or form that you want. Um, They're spending money in the wrong places they're probably putting in people in the wrong positions. Um, and you just have this uh, bit of a cluster mess, if you will, of um, of a team in, in complete disarray. And, I, and that showed at, mm. at City in that in that hapless hammering at the weekend. That, to be honest, had shades of that 5-0 thrashing at, at the hands of Liverpool and mm. also the 2-0 um, training match that where City destroyed United when Ole was mm. still around. So... Anyway, interesting times indeed for Manchester United, and we will see what the season unfolds for them. Um, of course, you know, Wade, we spoke about it the other week, but I, I want to touch on it. I was going to touch on it the other week. Um, you know, Liverpool fans are getting a little bit kiddy um, in the sense of the fact that they are on for an unprecedented quadruple. And I, I'm, I'm not afraid to say it because I think it's extremely, extremely unlikely to occur. But the mere fact that we're even in this conversation, to put it in perspective, I read an article today that said not even in Liverpool's heyday were they ever in contention for four trophies in March. I think that just puts into perspective the work that Klopp has done. We're talking about great managers like Bill Shankly, Bob Paisley, you know, Kenny Dalglish's time. Obviously, we were barred from Europe at that stage. Um, You know, iconic managers of Liverpool never being in this position. Modern-day Klopp and modern-day Liverpool have pretty much surpassed all of them in the sense of where they're at and are actually on for a quadruple. Now, that may not come to fruition, but I guess my question for you is, what realistically 
do you think um, Liverpool can achieve this season in the remaining three competitions from an, from an outside fan's point of view? I mean, they certainly have all the momentum at the moment. You can't deny that, you know. Um, and I, I, I did pick Liverpool to win the league this year early on. I don't know if you remember when we were talking about it. Yeah, you did. Um, but I have to say, like, you know, once that once City got that lead, I'm thinking, nah, there's absolutely no ways they can pull it back from here. I mean, something unprecedented would have had to happen. And like I mentioned earlier, I'm still scratching my head trying to figure out how we've got here because – you know, it's not like Man City had a massive dip or anything, but somehow we are where we are. The, the the most impressive thing about Liverpool now is, you know, we know how well they can play on the club, right? We've seen it, yeah. um, you know, that season, the 100-point season, uh, where it was neck and neck. We've seen them have some epic nights in Europe as well. You know, the Barcelona game springs to mind, et cetera, et cetera. So, we've seen what they can do. What's most impressive about them from an outsider now looking in is the depth that Liverpool have, right? Um, you're looking at a Jota, who still can't make the team after the goals that he scored. Firmino, who two years He's ago, you would have said, is the absolute mm. glue in that, uh, you know, playing in that deeper position and, and bringing Salah and Mane into play. He was a key link man, you know, and those two guys can't even get on the field now. Um, even in midfield, you look at the depth you have there. Uh, with Fabinho and Thiago, you know, Henderson still does his thing. Kieta on his day is an excellent player. Even in the back line now, you know, uh, you, obviously Van Dijk is still key. I think without Van yeah. Dijk, it's a different team. Um, yeah. But you look at the other options, Gomez, Matip, Konate, like every every department. Now, I didn't even mention the youngsters like Jones and Elliot, but yeah. the depth is just phenomenal. And I have to admit, man, if you had to say, you know, if you had to ask someone what is a prototypical Jurgen Klopp player, you would say Luis Diaz, right? Yeah, the guy yeah, is just <laughs> intense, man. Like, I've, I don't think I've ever seen someone that plays with a, with with so much energy. Like the dude, energy, one hundred and twenty percent the whole game, and I'm just like the whole this game. Dude's yeah. got a battery on him, man. Like, a, it's honestly a, incredible to watch. I mean, incredible. what a signing, yeah. you know. And he's keeping Jota out the team, which speaks volumes already. He's just come in, and. Um, Oh man, like what a pickup! What and what a signing! I'm, I've been really impressed with them. So this Liverpool team now is tr- the strongest Liverpool team that Klopp's had. So to answer your question, like what's realistic? What can they achieve? I don't think the quadruple is too far fetched. You know, especially if you're looking at form um, right now. Obviously, it's going to be tough up against City and Champions League is going to be tough. But Liverpool are known for having epic European nights, so. Um, you know, I'm not ruling that out at all. They could, they could do the quadruple. They really could, but you know, it's going to come down to consistency from here. I'm not sure what your schedule is like compared to cities. I haven't really looked at that. Obviously, you've got that big game against City coming up, which is going to be huge yeah. because um, any slip up at the top now is going to be crucial for um, you know for whoever wins that or, or loses that game. So. I, I don't see any limitations to this Liverpool team, man. Like, they, they were already impressive under Klopp. And the fact now that they've got depth in pretty much every position, um, and you've got this guy, Luis Diaz, who's come in, um, who's added even a, another dimension to the team, there's, there's, there's really no saying how, how far they can go, really. I think the, 
yeah, it's it's uh, it's impressive to watch as an outsider. I've always liked the way Liverpool play. Um, you know that intensity um, and that just relentless. I mean, the game just starts and it looks like you guys just create chances from the off. You know, <laughs> and I'm off, like, yeah. shit, it's it's already going. You know, um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think sky's the limit for this team. It's the strongest club team he's had. So let's see where he takes them. Yeah, really interesting to hear rival fans' point of view. You know, obviously you 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 hear or you talk to fans, and I guess a lot will just laugh at the fact that we're talking about quadruples. And and I've said it. You know, I'll go on record and say the quadruple is highly, highly unlikely. There's a reason nobody's done it. Yeah. You know, not even the great Manchester City teams have done it. You know, so it goes to show that it is an extremely difficult thing to do and almost nigh on impossible. Having said that, I think you're 100% right. The momentum is with Liverpool. I think the two things with with regards to Champions League and FA Cup, those are cup games. So on Mm. the day, if you're not there, you you will lose, regardless of who you play, because it's about who turns up on the day, which is why Champions League, to me, is not the measure of the best team necessarily, because I I do believe... I've always said that. You know, I go back to the 2005 Champions League final. That Liverpool team should not be on the same park as that AC Milan team. And yet, we are European champions after one of the greatest comebacks ever. That Chelsea yeah. team that beat Bayern Munich in 2011, but they were battered for the entire game, mm-hmm. came out uh, the winners. In fact, that United team of 99 were completely outplayed by Bayern Munich for 90 minutes. And Dominated somehow, them. they stole it at the end. So... Mm. The Champions League is not the measure of the greatest team. A league campaign will always be, for me, the measurement, especially within, obviously, the domestic league, who is the best team. And I think that's the battle I'm most looking forward to is mm. because both, you know what, the, the the reality is both City and Liverpool can win every single game from here and out. They obviously play each other. And I think that's the key game. Yeah. Our record at, at, at the Etihad is pretty dreadful, to be honest with you. So we would need to pull a rabbit out of a hat right now to to turn that around. Um, but, you know, Pep Guardiola said it, and I, and I do want to say uh, what his quote was about Liverpool and his battle. He said, you can win or you can lose, but after these guys have done many, many years still being there, if at the end we are not able to do it, it's because we have faced the toughest opponents I've ever faced in my 12 to 13-year career as a manager. Liverpool in the last years are outstanding and fighting with them and being with them after a big success in domestic trophies and titles is the biggest achievement I've had as a manager in my career. Now, those are some those are some pretty good words mm. to hear as a Liverpool fan because, you know, Pep Guardiola and the squad, he's amassed at Manchester City. There's a reason that they, they are where they are. You know, he is, to me, an absolutely iconic manager. He will go down and to me as one of the greatest ever. Um, and he has an, an abundance of resources at Manchester mm. City, an absolute mm. abundance. You know, they, they can sign who they like, when they like, how they like. Well, and I that, think they've got a hundred million dollar player that's sitting on the bench. <laughs> it doesn't even play. So, I just put it you know, into context. 50 exactly. million pound fullbacks that are on the bench. That you don't know, it's play. like, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It, it, it's not even exactly. So when you compare it to the work, I guess, and that's why I love the Klopp and, 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 and Guardiola conundrum because I do believe it takes a special manager to get the best out of 
you know, a team of world-class players. So mm. not every manager mm. can just go. I, I look at Pochettino at PSG. I think mm. he's more suited to lesser egos in managing. That's personally. a good example, and actually. I think yeah. he brings out the best in those players. Just yep. because you have a team of this isn't. I say it a lot. This isn't FIFA. Not anybody can just jump in there and go go. Here's your your greatest team. Now go win the game. It doesn't mm. work like that. Mm. So I think what Klopp does and what Pep does is two different things. Pep doesn't have to go prove himself as a guy that can, you know take a, a team of nobodies and bring them up. Mm. That's what's great about Klopp is he, you know, I look at those players, Andy Robertson, Trent Alexander-Arnold, you know, to a large extent, even I know we paid 75 million for Virgil van Dijk, but this wasn't nah, 75 he didn't, million. He didn't, he didn't come in there as one of the best defenders in the world. No, no. ways. Yeah. People forget yeah. that. Virgil yeah. van Dijk didn't come to Liverpool from Real Madrid or from Barcelona. Yeah. He came from Southampton. We, mm-hmm. And we paid Southampton 75 million. People laughed at that time and said, 75 million for Virgil van Dijk. Are you having a laugh? Mm-hmm. And look at Virgil van Dijk now. The, the breath. I, I think I saw the other day, um, I can't remember who it was. It was a pundit on TV saying, you know, Virgil van Dijk is, the, in his mind, from what he's seen recently, one of the greatest defenders of all time. Now, that's a statement yeah. he's made. I'll still give it time to see that play out. But that mm. is the level that the man has produced. And I think these two managers, we're, we're seeing the, the, that Wenger, Ferguson, you know, and this is that new generation of battles that's yeah. forming and it's Klopp and Pep Guardiola. And for me, long may it continue because it's brilliant to watch. Absolutely it's brilliant. A, it's, and that's a really good comparison as well, you know, because United used to bring in the big name players and Wenger used to get the players that would suit his system. You know, 100%. not necessarily yeah. those big name players. And that's exactly what Klopp's done, which has been, for me, probably even more impressive. I know it still takes a lot to manage those egos and get them playing yeah. how you need them to play from uh, from the City perspective. But the, the signings that Klopp made, you can run through that whole team, really. And who were really the guys that came in that you thought, wow, this is like a world-class game-changing player? You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. the the probably the guy who was the at the peak of his powers or, or one of the best in the world in his position maybe was Thiago Silva when he I'll brought tell him you right in. Now, right? To, not to cut you off, I yeah. I remember when that signing happened and I said to I believe it was my mate Jared Clues and a couple of Liverpool supporters I said this is the first time in my lifetime that Liverpool have signed a complete like. He is he's a complete player. Yeah. He, he is renowned for the stuff he's done at Bayern and at obviously Barcelona. And he we don't sign I even said we don't sign these players. This is literally yeah. a world star coming yeah. to Liverpool. Yeah. We don't sign them. So yeah, I just wanted to to, to Yeah, exactly what right. Saying. And, and I, I fully it, agree. it was it was almost out of character, right? Because was, yeah, you yeah. he was literally one of the best midfielders in the world and you don't miss him though when he's not in the team. No. <laughs> you, you don't miss Thiago. You know what I mean? Like he probably hasn't had the impact that we all expected him to. Because when when you brought him in, I'm thinking, wow, this guy's going to take Liverpool to a whole nother level, which I, you know, I don't even think was possible. But just the name alone and and what he's achieved. But you know, Mane again from Southampton. What that's that's the odd million. Salah came million. in. I remember people making jokes saying, ah, oh, he couldn't We're cut it at jokes, Chelsea. Yeah. He's not going to do it you know, in the Premier League. Firmino coming from uh, Hoffenheim or Hoffenheim. wherever he came was Hoffenheim. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, from, yeah, not a big name, decent player. Okay, let's see how he goes. Robertson from Hull or wherever he came from, you know. <laughs> I'm just thinking, 
Wow. Um, the, the real game changers were um, Van Dijk and, and Allison, who I think came in around the same time because he had yeah. the attacking players. He was scoring goals, and you guys, but you guys were conceding goals. And as soon as Allison and Van Dijk came in, it just went to a whole other level. Yeah. But um, I just think it's very impressive. Obviously, you guys had assets to sell like Suarez and yeah. Coutinho, and you guys got a lot of money, but the money you still got to spend yeah. the money wisely, right? Yeah. Um, and you look at the 150 mil that Arsenal spent this summer, and no one gave us – everyone was writing off the signings, weren't they? They were like, Ramsdale, yeah. what, what's he going to do? You know, um, Tomoyasu, who's this guy, right? Yeah. But – Mikel has that vision in his head, not to bring it back to Arsenal again, but I'm just but talking the about the, the vision. No, I agree. I right? like that. Yeah, yeah. the vision and the plan. specific players that suit his game. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and you've got to have a certain type of character. Like, you look at a Klopp player that comes in now, and you're like, right, that's a Jurgen Klopp player, even down to the yeah. last signing, Luis Diaz, because he point, knows yeah. what he wants from his players, and he has a certain expectation. So, to see it come to fruition and, and really... Only two big signings in terms of money, Allison and Van Dyke, and to put the team together that he has now and the depth that you guys have now, it's yeah. just yeah, it's it's very impressive, man. And I think that's a really good comparison that you made with the the Wenger and Fergie era because yeah. there's a lot of similarities there for sure. I, you know, and I'll go back and I'll, I love the discussion we're having because you look at and I, I use United as a case in point because they're the polar opposite. You know, they signed Jordan, Jaden Sancho. Did you sit back and go, yeah, that's an that's a, that's an Ole player. I can see what he's doing there. No, of yeah, course not. Exactly. Because yeah. it was they signed Jaden Sancho, as far as I'm concerned, irrespective of what Ole wanted. They just signed Jaden yeah. Sancho. You know, the yeah. same with Ronaldo. It's almost like because they chased him for so long. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost like they chased him for so long and then it was like, all right, we have to sign this guy now, we right? We have to sign We've him. been chasing yeah. him and, and this, that, and the other. So let's go out and get him. Yeah. Even Ronaldo as well, thinking, uh, did they really need these guys? Uh, I you, just, know? you know what? So, I'll, I'll, for, yeah. I'll forever remember the meme, the last dance. And boy, is this turning into the last dance for Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> at, uh, at, 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 at Old Trafford. I mean, you know, he can't even at times get into the team. Um, you know, the rumors are obviously starting to circulate that he wants out. Um, I mean, there's and only he just so took much. Off, uh, he just took off to Portugal, apparently. Yeah. Uh, uh, the castle is crumbling. The castle is yeah. certainly crumbling because this is a, a, a guy that considers himself still to be the best. You know, mm. he still looks after himself, still wants to produce. And he is now going out with an absolute whimper um, to a team that, at this rate, aren't even going to qualify for Europe uh, on the current form, uh, you know, um, results that they kind of um, are on at the minute. So really interesting uh, dynamics between, I guess, all the managers and the teams. And it's been a, a really interesting discussion, uh, Wade. But uh, one that we obviously have to move on from, unfortunately. And I guess we're kind of at that point now where, you know, Powered by Riverside probably FM. need to, to shift our focus and, you know, we're at the end of the show. We've got another big week. Champions League um, is obviously coming on board this week. And, of course, another round of Premier League fixtures. What are you most looking forward to this week um, from a personal perspective and, I guess, you know, overall from a football perspective? Uh, well, obviously, for us now, every game is a cup final, right? Um, the league is changing so much. So, 
Uh, I'm just looking forward to another good performance against Leicester. It's going to be a, uh, it's going to be a tough game for us, you know. That's a pretty tough game. You don't know what, yeah, yeah you don't, you know, don't what, know what version what Leicester of Leicester team is. Exactly, right? You don't know what Leicester team is going to turn up because on their day, they can match it with anyone. I think we've seen that. Um, they've got a couple of wins on the bounce now as well. So they'll be dangerous. They'll be dangerous. Um, and we need to capitalize on the fact that um, City and uh, sorry, not City, Spurs and United play this weekend. So yeah. that's something we yeah. really have to take advantage of. So it's just intense, man, because we've we we're having uh, such big breaks between our games. Obviously, been out of all the cups. So the build up as an Arsenal fan is like it's it's, it's even more sort of excruciating because you just want to get to game day and get that result out the way, but. You're kind of waiting. And I wonder if the players feel that as well, you know, with their approach. Yeah. And, you know, it probably adds a lot more um, importance to every game for us now. And we're so close. We've done so well to get to this point that it is going to be disappointing if we blow it from here. But we need to capitalize because the other teams around us have been so inconsistent. So for me, it's well, just think- about, um, you know, same again. And, uh, yeah. and and hopefully we get the result. Yeah. Well, I think to your point, though, you know, with United playing Spurs, you know, there's obviously someone dropping points there. It could be both teams. Um, I think the Leicester game is almost uh, make sure you pick up three points because you actually mm. play Liverpool next next Thursday. So yeah. there's you got a catch-up game there. So, you know, if you did, lo- I think, put it this way, the, the Leicester game should be relatively easier to win in, compared to the, to the Liverpool game. I think you've yeah. got to ke- pick up at least three points out of those yeah. six available, you know, because yeah. you could That's almost say yeah. you wouldn't be disappointed if you lost to Liverpool. Yeah. But at the same time, you just got to make sure out of those two tough games that you have, you have to pick up a minimum three points out yeah. of that. I agree. Um, yeah, I agree. To it's, make it's some ground up on those win. two teams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think this fixture actually this weekend, um, well, both fixtures really, us against Leicester and, um, you know, Spurs going to Old Trafford could be a real mm. defining moment. Um, because after this, I think those two teams only have about nine games left. So the pressure yeah. really starts to tell on those teams. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've got those three games in hand now. So... It's an absolute must win. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that, our game, and then also seeing, obviously, how um, the Spurs and United fixture pans out. Well, for sure. How about I yourself? Guess, for, yeah, well, I was just saying, from my perspective, those are obviously two interesting games for the for the top four battle. But I'm definitely looking forward to, obviously, we've got the, the Brighton game, which, to be fair, our, our record against Brighton in recent history isn't that grand. They are in terrible form. I just hope they don't decide to turn it around this weekend. Um, they played well against um, you guys at Anfield, didn't they? They did. They did. I mean, mm. we were 2-0 up in that game and we let them back in. And Brighton, mm. this is the thing. Klopp is very... When you listen to Klopp talk about teams he plays, he, he was all, he's always concerned about teams like Brighton because of mm. the, the way they play. So they're a pressing team that forces yeah. you into mistakes and although they might not be effective against all teams against certain styles of play their football thrives even more and against Liverpool they actually look even better at times because of that style of football so this is by no means a gimme three points for Liverpool and yeah. it's by no means a gimme three points for Manchester City they're playing their hoodoo team Crystal Palace yeah. who beat them in the first 
round and have been known to beat them over the years. So they're, they're also playing, playing well. away they're from playing home. Very well yeah. under Vieira as well. So yeah. And Crystal yeah. Palace have the knack of Manchester City. You know, there's just mm. there's sometimes just those teams that styles are a contrast to the opposition that they yeah. play. And I think Crystal Palace are that for for Manchester City. Why I think Crystal Palace can catch them on the break. With the pace of Zaha and the like, they can actually do some damage. I mean, United's goal on the weekend from from Sancho was exactly City being exploited on the counter. You know, bang, straight ball over the top and they they equalize. So I'm really intrigued by that. And then obviously we do have a matter of the Champions League in the morning. So hopefully we close that out against Inter. Um, But another, you know... Banging weekend, blockbuster weekend of football wait for us to look forward to. And no doubt our listeners are sitting on the edge of their seat waiting to see how the season unfolds because it really is turning out to be one of the most exciting seasons in a in a very long time. So power to uh, the football. Unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that has brought an end to our show. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Of course, I know we, we've probably missed Rudd's. And we did lay into him a little bit while he was not here, but we would have probably done the same had he been here. But this is what happens when you evade a podcast and you decide to hide in a cupboard. So, Rods, if you are out there, we have missed you, and the listeners are definitely going to be asking what happened to the trivia. We had to sit there and listen to Conway and Wade for the entire show <laughs> and not have Rods' trivia. He has assured us he'll be back next week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, don't forget to catch us on Apple Podcasts. You can catch up all our episodes as What the Football on Apple Podcasts and Podbean. You can also catch us on all socials and Facebook, Instagram, and, of course, Twitter, where we post regularly about all things uh, English Premier League. But until next week, we say thank you for listening and enjoy the football as we enter another week. See you, guys. Powered by Riverside.